This is going to be an unusual sort of message today. What I want to do is help you to capture the flow of what the Holy Spirit has been explaining to us through the pen of the Apostle Matthew. And Matthew has been laying out in this gospel, number one, what is the kingdom like? We have the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. Here is Jesus laying out the basic principles of kingdom life. Before that, you have the laying out, who is this fellow Jesus? Who is he exactly? Chapter 1 of Matthew, he, here is the genealogy of Jesus. He is the son of David. Going all, he is the first verse, Matthew, the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the anointed of God, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then it goes from Abraham right down to Jesus' legal, though not actual father, Joseph, who is, so he is the legal father, Jesus gets his right to the throne. If the dynasty of David had still been on the throne, Joseph would have been sitting on the throne. And Jesus is his legal son, his legal firstborn son. Now, why am I emphasizing legal? Because Joseph is not the actual father of Jesus. Jesus is the son of God. Jesus draws all of his humanity from his mother, Mary. In Luke's Gospel, you find the genealogy of Mary, who is also a descendant of David. <laughs> but he draws all of his humanity as the Nicene Creed, and I state this virtually every Sunday during going through Matthew. Jesus is, as the Nicene Creed says, he is true God of true God. True man of true man joined together in one person. So he is fully God, fully man, not half man, half God. He's fully God. So Jesus can authentically be worshipped without any restraint. He is fully God. Fully man. He draws all of his humanity from Mary. He is fully man joined together in one person. And therefore, he is, when he goes to the cross, he goes as the second or last Adam, and he, he corrects the disaster that the first Adam created. He bears the penalty for our sin on the cross. He is sinless. His worst enemies, he stood before his worst enemies and said, which of you accuses me of sin? They've been chasing around behind him for over three years, and they can't find one point of accusation. Which of you accuses me of sin? He said publicly, he who has seen me has seen the Father. This, there's this episode in John chapter 10 where the, Jesus is in the temple. And he equates himself with God. And this Jewish leadership pick up stones to stone him. Why are you stoning me? What, what, what's, the, what's the cause? Because being a man, you make yourself equal to God. Okay. Fine. What's, what's the problem with that? 
Can you find something? And then he walks right through their midst. And they can't lay a finger at They're standing there. He is God. He is God. Through Matthew's gospel, when people come for healing, they, in asking for healing, it literally says, and they, with these words, they are worshiping him. They are asking him to do something that only God can do. Therefore, they are saying, what of him? You are God. They are worshiping him. The man born blind, John chapter 9, when he gets kicked out of the synagogue, he finds Jesus and he worships him. Jesus has been butting heads with the Jewish leadership all through Matthew's gospel. They keep coming after him. I heard a beautiful, uh, well, beautiful <laughs> in the sense of that it captured the essence so beautifully. Yesterday, listening to a Christian program, the man said that the people exposed to Jesus' message, the people exposed to Jesus either believed in him and worshipped him or they plotted his murder. There were no neutral people. Jesus was too bold, too out there in your face for neutrality. You made a choice. Either you worshipped him and believed in him, or you plotted his death. And that's what we've seen in Matthew's gospel. And Jesus has done hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miracles. I'm going to capture some of these. Uh, Matthew 14, verses 34 to 36. When he had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, this is a Gentile region. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent out into all the surrounding region, brought to him all who were sick and begged him that they might only touch the hem of his garment and as many as touched it were made perfectly well. Chapter 15, verses 21 to 39. Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Folks, that is raw pagan territory. That's where Jezebel was from. <laughs> okay? We're talking up, up on the Mediterranean coast. Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. Messiah, my daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her, not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me, solve my unsolvable, except by God, problem. But he answered and said, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs, to the puppies. And she said, yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, oh, woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. 
and her daughter was healed from that very hour. Jesus departed from there, skirted the Sea of Galilee, and went up on the mountain and sat down there. Then great multitudes came to him, having with them the lame, the the lame, blind, mute, maimed, and many others. And they laid them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. So the multitude marveled when they saw the mute speaking, the maimed made whole, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Now Jesus called his disciples to himself and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And I do not want to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. Then his disciples said to him, where could we get enough bread in the wilderness to fill such a great multitude? Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven and a few little fish. So he commanded the multitude to sit on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and the fish and gave thanks, broke them and gave them to his disciples. And his disciples gave to the multitude. So they all ate and were filled. And they took up seven large baskets full of fragments that were left. Now those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children and he sent away the multitude got into the boat and came to the region of Magdala and then chapter 16 verses beginning in verse 13 but let me say right here what's going on as we've gone through Matthew's gospel what we have seen is that Jesus has been very open about who he is. He's been very open about his message. Last week, we focused on the fact that he has started to speak to them in parables. He started to speak to the crowd in parables instead of speaking with plain speech. He spoke to them in, uh, with a story that they would have to think about to get the relevant message out of it. And his disciples came to him and said, why are you doing this? You're making your message unclear. Well, I'm really being unclear as an act of kindness to them because they're not responding to the clear message. And so rather than having being culpable for rejecting a clear message, I'm making it unclear so that those who really want it will wrestle with it and come to the truth because the Holy Spirit will be there to make it clear. But I'm spe now speaking to them in parables because of that. And then, as the Jewish leadership come, they keep asking for a sign. And he has said to them, no sign will be given to you but the sign of the prophet Jonah, which is the biggest slap in the face you could give one of these guys. I will be doing for you what God did in sending Jonah to the Assyrians, the most wicked people known in all of ancient history, the most cruel culture of all, the Assyrians. He sent Jonah and they repented. Oh, and I will be a Jonah to you because as he was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish and then spit out on the edge of the Mediterranean and went to them and they repented, the same, you will get the same sign. But you won't repent. You are worse than the people whom you think are the worst. 
And now we find another pivot point, the major pivot point in Matthew's gospel here in chapter 16, beginning in verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, say, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Stop right there for a moment. Son of Man is the standard expression used by the Jews in that day for Messiah, for that promised Son of David. It comes from Daniel chapter 7, and it is the Son of Man who is the one who will bring kingdom glory, that God will use to bring kingdom glory ultimately to Israel. So Jesus has readily used that term for himself. The people have used that of him. But he says, who did men who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Now, these men have been with Jesus for probably a couple years at least by this point. His ministry was from three to three and a half years, his public ministry. So they said, the apostles gave various answers. Some say John the Baptist. Well, even earlier in the, in the narrative, you've got Herod Antipas I think this is John the Baptist, whom he had had beheaded. <laughs> because he's doing all these miracles. John the Baptist never did any miracles. Some say John the Baptist. Some Elijah. Why Elijah? Because the prophet Malachi said that Elijah would come before the great coming day, of great and miraculous day of the Lord. Elijah had never died. Elijah was taken up into heaven in a whirlwind, accompanied by a chariot. And as I said... <coughs> As I said, Malachi had said Elijah would come. Others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Jesus, Simon Peter answered and said, speaking on behalf of all of them, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now that word Christ, Christos is the Greek word, it's the equivalent of the Hebrew word. We anglicize it to Messiah. It's the Hebrew pronunciation is really Mashiach. It's the anointed son of David. That's when they say anointed, when they say Christ, when they say Messiah or Mashiach, they're saying promised son of David to be king. But you are not only the promised son of David, you are the son of the living God. Who did David ever heal? David was the original in, obviously, the Davidic line. Who did David ever heal? No, no one. Who did David raise from the dead? No one. Jesus has cleansed lepers. He's healed every single conceivable kind of physical ailment, even raising the dead. He has done things that only God can do. Well, if someone does things that only God can do, and it's out of him, it's out of him, he's doing it. He's not saying, Father, would you do this? No, he's doing it. Then what is he? Who is he? He is the Son of God. If... If a being, if a person can be called a son of someone, 
they carry the attributes, all of the attributes of their parent. In the triunity of who our God is, and this is, you can point to Hebrew scriptures. He is God, the, he, this one God is three persons, who is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One God who is three persons. And God the Son became a man. Fully a man, as well as retaining the full, his full deity. And he is carrying out works and saying words that only God can do and God can say. And so, what has Peter done? Whatever the other, he's the spokesman for the group. You are the Messiah, the son of David, and the son of God. The son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, Barjona. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Why do you know this, Peter? Because God, my Father, stepped in and made it clear to you. Now, he had no more evidence than anybody else had. I mean, all these other apostles had the same evidence. All those who came to Jesus who saw themselves or their loved ones healed, they all had the same evidence. They saw the storm stilled. They saw all of these things take place. They all had the same evidence. But what made it possible for them to take that logical step? He is God. They were enabled by God. Now, some people might take that reality and say, oh, well, then it really does take a divine intervention to bring people to that place. Yes, it does. Let me tell you something. God is really eager to do that. <laughs> God doesn't do that just by little bit. No, he is generous in his divine provision of making the reality of who his son is clear. God, you know, you know God the Father loves God the Son? I mean, I got this, I got this thing going, and Darren knows. Uh, Oscar Manchaka is a guy who is on, uh, he's a Facebook friend of mine. Oscar Manchaka has a couple, a son and a stepson who are just outrageous athletes. Let me tell you, Oscar is not shy about bragging <laughs> about these young men. God bless you, Oscar. He's not shy, but God the Father isn't shy about bragging about God the Son. God the Father points people to God the Son. Look, 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 look. You want to see what I, God the Father, am like? Look at my Son, look at my Son. And what did Jesus say? He who has seen me has seen the Father. And God the Father is eager that the human race understand and get this. So don't take when I said this, when Jesus says this to Peter, you know this because God has disclosed this to you. Heaven has disclosed this to you. That's not a restrictive thing. That is That throws the door open. Because God is eager that the human race understand this. And a couple weeks ago, I gave, I gave you the testimony, part of the testimony of Seton Lee, who was raised a Buddhist. 
And God disclosed to him. He's in Paul Potts' concentration camp for nearly five years. He's about to get his head smashed in by a guard because they discovered his academic records. He's, re- he's way too well educated to let him live. And as they're going down the line killing young men, the commander of the camp comes forward, grabs Seton, and yanks him out of the line. Why? Because Seton cried out to the Lord of the universe, whoever you are, I know it's not Buddha. <laughs> Buddha has failed me and failed me and failed me. Whoever, Lord of the universe, please save me. And that camp commander walked right up, grabbed him, dragged him out of the line. He was the only one in that line whose life was saved. Hand him a pad and said, I just got, I'm just a peasant. I just got orders to design and build a uh, irrigation system. I don't know how to do that. You're well educated. You don't know how to do this. He was a medical student. <laughs> but he said, I took the pad. I took a pencil. They gave me the pencil. And a hand took control of my hand and started right drawing the design. And they built that design and it's still functioning today. But it was six months later when he had escaped and he's on his way to Thailand where there's a Red Cross camp going through the minefields from carcass to carcass when a man ran out of the jungle and grabbed him and said, uh, you need to know, use quoting Sitan's own words, the Lord of the universe is Jesus Christ. Is God eager that people get it? (laughs) He is eager, he is aggressive that people would get who his son is. You are the son of the living God. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter. You are, the Greek word is Petros. Petros, and by the way, this is the name Jesus gave him. Remember when Peter was first brought to, I'll say Simon, was first brought to Jesus by his brother Andrew, who was a disciple before Simon was. He said, your name is Simon. Now, Simeon was a very, in, among the sons of uh, Jacob, he was not a reliable character. He was kind of a quixotic guy. And your name is Simon. It will become Peter, a rock. Petras, a rock. I'm going to change your nature. You'll become Petras. You are Petras. And on this rock, different word, Petra. What's the difference between Petras and Petra? Well, Greek has a feature, and a lot of languages do, that English doesn't. A noun can be a masculine, feminine, or neuter. Well, Petras is the masculine word, and it's a fist-sized stone. You are Petras, Mr. Solid, Mr. Steady. And on this Petra, the feminine form of the same word, which is a rock of Gibraltar-sized boulder. I will build my church. So Peter isn't the rock that the church will be built on. What is, the, what is this then? What is this Petra that he's talking about? Now I'm going to make a suggestion. There's two major suggestions here. I'll give you the one that I... Both of these are... Neither one of these are her- heresy, okay? The one is 
the fact that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. On this rock, this fact, I will build my church. Okay? If someone wants to embrace that, I'm totally, God bless you. Let me tell you what I think is the case instead. This is going to sound so wimpy at the front end. Your simple confession is the rock upon which I will build my church. Well, Mark, that sure sounds a lot weaker than the choice A. Let me turn you to Psalm 8. You know what God's, one of God's favorite things to do? I don't know if it's, not, if it's the favorite thing. One of God's favorite things to do is to cause Satan to melt down. He loves harassing and embarrassing Lucifer. He, I mean, God just delights in it. Where do you get that from, Mark? Well, we could go all the way back to Genesis 3, where God says, the seed of the woman, the one that you used to engineer this mess, I'm actually going to use the seed of the woman to crush your head. But here's another one, Psalm 8. Psalm of David. O Lord, our Lord. How excellent is your name, your reputation in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. Notice this. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength because of your enemies that you may silence the enemy and the avenger, that you may shut Satan up. And the illustration I've used before, and I'm going to use it again. Supposing here we are, we're sitting here, and now we do have a lady in the church that used to sit in that chair back there, uh, and she told me one day, because, you know, this is after the shooting a few months ago, and I said, well, you know, we need to really, and she said, oh, we got this cover, and she opened her purse and pulled her pistol out. <laughs> and she used to sit in the chair where Ariana is right now. You don't have a pistol in your pocket, do you, Ariana? Okay, anyways, God delights to use, supposing somebody charged in here, and they were dressed in full armor. I mean like a, a middle, a, a dark ages night. I mean, they had on the helmet, they had on all the armor on, and they pulled out their broadsword, and, and Ariana were to jump up, grab a fly swatter, and just start doing battle with that knight in armor with his broadsword. She's got a fly swatter, and she just beats the snot out of him with the fly swatter, destroys him, and he ends up in a puddle on the, on the floor, absolutely destroyed by Ariana with fly swatter. Now, let me tell you, that's a lot more humiliating than if he had met a knight equipped just the same. It's a lot. So what does God do to really humiliate Lucifer he simply has babes and nursing infants say, Daddy, would you help? And God's, all of God's power comes down and crushes Lucifer. God loves using the weakest of weapons against Lucifer because what, that heightens his, the recognition of his power. 
Nobody would say when Ariana had this guy on the floor, when she's standing over him with a fly swatter, nobody's going to say, wow, isn't that Ariana? We're going, look what God did. <laughs> I, on this confession, out of the mouths, confessing mouths of babes and nursing infants who simply say, God, help. I need your mercy, I need your grace on that powerful weapon. I will build my church. The very thing that Lucifer would mock will be his ruin. That's of the two choices, that's the one I go for based on Psalm 8. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, out of the mouth of a Simon now called Peter, out of his mouth, out of the mouth of the other apostles, out of the mouth of anyone who calls it out, no matter their station in life, I will build my church. That's what I do. Yes, sir. The power of yes. God uses we can simply say a word and it has an impact. When God is the animator of it, absolutely. What does God do in Genesis chapter one? He spoke, he spoke, he spoke, he spoke the creation into existence. And he grants to us that kind of power. He, it's given to us. And Satan's going, no, that can't be. No, 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 no. yes, Satan. There's a concept you never heard of before. You created the fall. It's called mercy. It's called grace. You see, Lucifer, who rebelled against God, he didn't get mercy. He, didn't, he doesn't even know it exists. And God says, oh, yeah, this is going to be your undoing. This is a turning point in Matthew's gospel. As we move forward, we're going to see Jesus pointed toward the cross. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, Petras, and on this rock, Petra, a rock, rock of Gibraltar-sized boulder, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Wait a minute. Gates aren't an offensive weapon. No, they're a defense. They put you... We're going to tear hell apart. We're going to dismantle. And what's Jesus going to do in Matthew 28? He's going to send the apostles out where? Around the world to do what? To dismantle Satan's kingdom. And the gates of hell will not be able to stand against this. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Who was on the day of Pentecost, by the way, preview of coming attractions, he uses the word church. Now this is, I think, a striking factoid. We've got four gospels. There's only one gospel where you find the word church. Matthew's gospel. You find it here in Matthew 16. 
and you find it twice in a, in a statement of Jesus in Matthew 18. But also, when we get to Matthew 24, we're going to see, as Jesus lays out prophetic material, the Olivet Discourse, there's going to be church truth there that is unique to Matthew's Gospel. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all have the Olivet Discourse, but only Matthew includes the material about as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the coming of the days of the Son of Man. Two men will be working in the field, one will be taken and another left. Two women grinding at the mill, one will be taken and another left. And the rest of that passage, right up to the final thing, which is the judgment of the world, judgment of the nations, is all church truth. Only Matthew's Gospel has the word church. And while it is, in a definite sense, the gospel to the Jews, it's also the gospel to the church. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against you and I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Who was the first person on the birthday of the church? What most people would identify as the birthday of the church is the day of Pentecost. Who was the speaker? Who opened that door? Peter. Who was it that opened the door to the Gentiles? God <laughs> drafted him and sent. He was at Simon the leper's uh, house. Peter was. He was on the roof and he had a vision. And here is a sheet let down from heaven. It's got all these unclean animals on it. And God says, rise, take and eat, Peter. What, Lord? I can't do that. Why, no unclean animal has ever passed my lips. No, 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 no. Do not call unclean, Peter, what I have called clean. It was an immediate knock on the door, and it was three men who had been sent by Simon the, centur the centurion. Is it Simon? Because he had had a vision of Jesus saying, go to this place over here because my spokesman Peter is there. And so Peter brought the gospel the Gentiles he's the first he opened the door to Israel on the day of Pentecost and then he opened the door to the Gentiles he was the one whom God used to open those doors he gave him those key that, that key then he Jesus commanded his disciples that she, they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ now why would he do that because he's going to keep preaching, he's going to keep preaching, but he wants the people to draw the conclusion the same way Peter and the apostles had by a heavenly disclosure. Now, that's going to change on the day of the triumphal entry when he's going to say to the apostles, okay, now go tell everybody. <laughs> and we're going to be with him when that happens, unless Jesus yanks us out of here first. Let's pray. Our Lord, we want to thank you here we are, a band of people in this room together. What are we? If we've come to faith in Jesus Christ, if we have authentically transferred our trust from our own performance to what Jesus did for us on the cross, then we are your children. We are your favored ones. We are your disciples, your learners. We are asking that you would enable us to walk in your steps, empowered by you, 
to be imitators of you, to be like you, not because we are left to ourselves, but because you have made all the provision, all of the provision, that we may be Jesus' imitators, that we may walk in your wisdom, we may walk in your power. We ask that this week, every single person in this room will be able to say, yes, God used me. Yes, God used me. And we'll have a testimony next Sunday to that effect. We are asking this of you, mighty God, King Jesus, and all God's people said, amen.